Hello, welcome to a milestone episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. It is our 50th, our half century today. Uh, and I'd just like to begin by giving a huge thank you to, to each one of you that has tuned in and engaged with our pod over the past 18 months or so. Uh, it's a real pleasure to, to put them together and we're, we're glad you keep coming back for more. Uh, and, and this week, we return to Italy uh, after last week's episode with Stephen Ganavis, um, but to uncharted territory on the Scouted Pod, uh, as I believe it will be the first time we're covering anything in Serie B. Um, now, of course, Serie B is Italy's second tier, uh, their championship or Ligue 2, if you will. Um, and we do so because the, there is a story unfolding there, which could make plenty of headlines towards the end of the season, I feel. Uh, and, and the club in question uh, that we're going to discuss today uh, have recently added Mario Balotelli and Kevin Prince-Boateng to their squad. They've signed over 50 players in the past three seasons and they're owned by a former Italian Prime Minister. So I think it's fair to say lots to unpack. Uh, however, before we do the grand reveal, uh, I think it's only fair we introduce today's guest first. Uh, and he's one of the best storytellers in, in the football journalism game, um, scriptwriter for Tifo Football's excellent YouTube output and an ardent scout on the timeline. It's uh, the Athletics' Alex Stewart. Um, Happy New Year to you, Alex. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Joe. Yeah, no, I'm 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 doing all right. Thank you. Good stuff. Good. Um, yeah, just before we get into the the, the meat on the bones of this podcast, um, I'd just like to do sort of a brief introduction of yourself. And you know, most people will know you from from Tifo Football. Um, you know, having heard you, uh, a familiar voice, and on, on in recent occasions have seen you on on their screens as well. Um, but sort of, what was your what was your route into football and, and route into Tifo? So I I. I um, left a job uh, in the the police in 2014, um, where I was working in in London. And prior to that point, I'd been blogging. Um, I had a little blog called Put Niels in Goal, after Niels bore the the theoretical physicist, who was also a goalkeeper for Academs Bolt Club uh, over in Copenhagen. Um, His brother was actually a footballer as well, much more successful and and played for the Danish national team in in the Olympics uh, back in the 20s. Um, And that was a sort of... I suppose a kind of uh, football culture crossover. So I wrote about football and literature, football and art, uh, that kind of stuff. And as a result of that, I I went on a podcast with uh, Joe Devine, who at that point was was running a pod called The Illustrated Game, which had a sort of mix of of comedy and music and and football chat. Um, we lived relatively near each other in North London. And that was where I first got to know Joe. Um, Philippe, also, who's one of our illustrators, uh, was part of that. Uh, and Alice, who's now our, our studio manager as well. Um, and Joe and I kind of stayed in touch. And after I left the police, I, I, I thought that I would like to give football writing a go. Um, it was the sort of the early, relatively early days of football Twitter when people were still nice to one another. And um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'd had encouragement from certain people and and felt like I could, you know, get some advice and so on. So I, I had a crack at it. And um, after freelancing for a few years, um, UMAXIT, which is what TIFO used to be called, was going from strength to strength. And I, I started working full time there. Uh, we transitioned into videos um, and I came on to do the sort of stuff I was already doing in terms of script writing, but also to, to kind of have a handle on, on strategy and how we build the business and how we monetize it. Um, and, uh, yeah, Joe and I were working very, very closely together at, at that point. And, um, and then obviously, you know, now we've joined the athletic, which is really exciting. Um, increasing our output, doing other things like you referenced the, the, the kind of piece to camera videos, which is a, a new departure for me, but an interesting one. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully it's going all right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I speak for everybody who engages with with Tifo's output. Is you know, it's 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 hugely entertaining. Um, when when gyms were open, I used to sort of stick a few Tifo uh, videos on to distract me from on the being on the treadmill or on the <laughs> stepper or something like that. So um, yeah, it's it's coming handy. It's fair to say. Um, but yeah, you you mentioned there that um, uh, in twenty twenty you you were you were taken over by uh, or rather bought by uh, the Athletic, um, which was obviously huge for for Tifo uh, and huge for you know yourself and Joe and Alice and and everybody uh, there who who were obviously big players. Um, you know what what was that like? Sort of you know the approach uh, and and sort of ha- being being acquired by such a a huge sports brand. Uh, 
it was really exciting. Um, I mean, we we first met them back in uh, I think it was probably July of um, of twenty nineteen, uh, and they were sort of starting to make their moves. Um, Ed Malian was putting together his famous whiteboard of of uh, talent, and we went to chat to them. Um, partly, I think, because some of the guys uh, in in sort of senior leadership over at the athletic who were who were researching football with a view to launching the athletic uk had come across our videos and and liked the way that we did stuff um obviously we had a fairly decent audience by that point as well and so the initial conversation was really around marketing you know we we were a, a marketing partner for the athletic as they launched in the uk but there was also very much a sense uh i think certainly from our side and also from theirs that this was a partnership that could develop into something more um i was already an athletic subscriber and had been for for months and months because i i very much liked the way that they did stuff um and when we went and met them you know kind of the names that that were there and and even some of the people that i saw in the lobby of the hotel being talked to i was thinking this this is this is going to be something over here um Mm. You know, they had they had the 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 lineage of of what they'd built in the US already. The subscription model made a lot of sense in terms of being able to support good quality long form journalism. And they were hiring really good people. Um so when we then went over to uh San Francisco in, in September of uh twenty nineteen um to to kind of chat through a potential acquisition, it it was the, the the vision that they had for what we were going to do should we join them very closely aligned with what we wanted to do anyway um and uh it was um yeah it was really exciting to to have that conversation i th- i think it's probably fair to say that that tifo you know while we were doing all right like it it was it was a struggle to to keep things going on a sort of month to month basis from a financial perspective you know running a youtube channel seeking to monetize it professionally and, and work in that space is is really hard work and i think it i don't want to say it detracted from the quality of what we did but it certainly meant that we had at least one eye on you know sustainability in the future as much as we did on content creation even though those two things go hand in hand it's it's hard to balance them uh and so you know the athletic taking us over it's it's not just given us access to a brilliant team of journalists it's allowed us to expand it's allowed us to concentrate on making the best stuff we can and and push those formats forwards um as well as you know just i guess expanding our our horizons in terms of what what tifo is capable of doing yeah i mean from from sort of the outside looking in it's always appeared as though it's it's work which is incredibly enjoyable but also very arduous to to conduct because you know what as you say you know with with the content creation with with that additional um funding with this with the additional sort of creative freedom you know comes the responsibility of being i mean i don't i don't want to be as crass as saying being right but at least being as as well informed as anybody so i mean i suppose the, the sort of question is you know what it, it appears as though a lot of your work would give you great satisfaction, but what would you say sort of the most difficult aspect of of, of the, the transition and the change has been? Um, I, I'd like to say that it, almost there hasn't been a difficult aspect. I, I suppose, yes, the work is hard um, in, in the sense that, you know, I I, I know from, from the volume of people that, that watch the, the material that we put out that there's there's a kind of pressure that's, coming from that you know it's it is incumbent on us if not to be right at least to be as well informed and fair as possible um i think that's very much the case as well for the videos that we do that are less pure football which is more my side of stuff but you know when when we venture into the the realm of of politics or or sociology or whatever it is it's you know we we have to be on the money and and actually being part of the athletic has helped that um because we have like I say, we have this team of journalists that we can go and talk to and, and get insight from. Um, and, and there's a kind of an editorial apparatus there that's that's bolstered what we were already doing. Um, I, I guess for me personally, the, the satisfaction is when I see comments that say, you know, oh, I watched this and now I understand something. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think TIFO... We, we are not as complicated as a Spiel Verlagerungen. 
we're not as focused on player identification as you guys are. Um, and I've been huge fans of, of what you guys have been doing for a while now. Um, and, you know, the Scouted Football magazines are a fantastic resource. Um, but we we tread a kind of a more middle ground, you know, where, where we are looking to appeal to as broad an audience as possible, but to retain that sense of uh, being informative as well as being entertaining. And and I think for me that the, the satisfaction comes from when we when we tread that line correctly. You know, something has to be fun. It has to be engaging. It has to be something that's worth sticking on while you're on your treadmill. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I want you to come away from that thinking that you know a little bit more or understand a little bit more about some aspect of football. Uh, and if both of those boxes are ticked, then we've done our job. Yeah, it's digestible. You know, it's, it's easy to, to engage with. It's easy to watch. Um, you know, you don't, perhaps you don't have to sort of sit down and really focus on it like you would with sort of a, a and I mean, your pronunciation of Spielverlagerung was on point and I'm very surprised that I managed it myself there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's perhaps less intensive. I, I understand what you mean. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's been fascinating to see sort of the growth and and uh, and and how successful it's been, and it's yeah, it's it's very good to as sort of a an independent ourselves to see that you know there are there are possibilities out there. But um, yeah, uh, I think we should probably get onto a little bit of the football now. Uh, and uh, today's topic is it's an interesting one. It's a bit left field. It's a bit rogue. Um, and I think if you're based in in the UK um, or, or the US or, or wherever, I think it's it might be unlikely to have uh, to have heard too much in depth about this particular story, uh, but it is uh, that of AC Monza in Italy's Serie B, uh, and I suppose most people will be familiar with Monza as being the city home to Italy's F1 circuit. Um, you know, is it, its its location is it obviously in northern Italy. It's very close to to Milan, and I think sort of doing the background for this pod, I found that most people in Monza would support either one of Inter or or AC Milan. Um, so it's it's an interesting story that they've they've come up through the leagues, backed by the the funds of of ex Italian Prime Minister uh, Silvio Berlusconi and and uh, Adriano Galliani, who uh, acquired the club in two thousand and eighteen, um, and 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 essentially have bankrolled it since. Um, but they they have they have an aim, you know, two two aging patriarchs of of Italian culture um, trying to leave their mark on on, on another club. Uh, as they did over the 30 years that they were with with Milan. Um, you know, Monza are an interesting one. I think you'll agree, Alex, because they've never played in Serie A. And yet, currently, I think they're third in Serie B. Um, they've, they've, they were promoted last season. They, they look very, I don't want to say odds on, but they look competitive enough that they may be able to go up in Serie B. Um, and I think it will be an incredible story, the, the rise that they've, they've gone through. Yeah, so they they were only um, promoted into to Serie C back, I think, in in twenty seventeen. Um, and I I found a, a stat um, that you know they they've played the most seasons in Serie B um, of any club without achieving promotion, which is thirty nine. So they they've really kind of bobbed around the second tier quite a lot. Um, and it's I think very Millwall of them, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is a little bit. And and I think you're right. They um. They, they do very much exist in the shadow of of two kind of behemoth clubs that have both enjoyed really significant periods of success um, historically. And, and obviously AC Milan are doing particularly well this season too um, and, and are a very interesting story themselves. But um, it's, you know, there, there's always, I guess, the opportunity when... It's not just about money, is it? You know what what Berlusconi, yeah. but also particularly Galliani, brings is credibility. It's experience. Mm-hmm. They they have been there and done it. And, and Galliani's relationship with Monza goes back a long way. He started his career there. So there's, I think, you could regard this as a vanity project. You could regard it as a another opportunity for for Berlusconi, who's recently, I think, been re-elected to the European Parliament as an MEP you know, to kind of energize his political career once more. But the the sense that I get, and um, Rory Smith did a, a, a piece in the New York Times to this effect, is that, you know, a lot of it is, yes, Berlusconi likes being the guy in the limelight and he likes, you know, kind of 
being influential and wielding power, and, and that is part of it. But also, particularly for Galliani, this is a, an emotional project. You know, he's going back to the club where it all started for him, but with this, you know, backstory of, of experience and success with AC Milan. And, and let's not forget what they did with AC Milan. You know, they they really, they didn't just transform that club. They they transformed the landscape of European football and, and Italian football. You know, they, they brought that coterie of Dutch players in. They uh, they were the, the guys that took a chance on Arrigo Sacchi, who's one of the most influential Italian coaches ever. Um, so yeah, Monza are an interesting story. Yeah, just on that sort of Rory Smith uh, article in the New York Times, it's it's a yeah, it's a fascinating read, and I think there's there's, there's not been a, a glut of coverage, um, sort of in in English speaking media of of the the acquisition and um, and and the subsequent rise up the leagues, but um, in in their their promotion from Serie C, um, I think it was in 2018-19, they signed 25 players in a single season, and then they signed an additional 15 in the the 2019-20, um, and it's I mean. It, to the naked eye, it just seems as though, you know, unless you're buying absolutely, undisputably the best players, it seems like a great deal of upheaval. So I think a lot of the credit must go to uh, Christian Brocchi, who, of course, used to play for Galliani and Berlusconi's Milan uh, 15, 20 years ago, um, who, who is the manager at Monza now, who clearly has managed to wield some sort of cohesion between uh, the, these these players who are flitting in and out of the club, um, you know, many of whom are, are on loan, many of whom are very young and very inexperienced in their careers, uh, which of course we'll, we'll get onto. Um, but I mean, what's sort of your understanding of Brocky's role in um, in Monza? Yeah, I, I I think great credit has to go to him in, in that regard. I mean, it it is that the the, the Serie B template is very much to have quite a sizable in and out transfer um mm. set of operations um it is not uncommon for serie b clubs to have a mix of kind of gnarled old pros that have have done it at that level consistently for for a period of time plus a load of prospects that they can get on loan from from serie a clubs because serie a does tend to kind of hoard its young talent in terms of of contracts but then repetitively loan them out so the model is is perhaps not an unusual one. It's maybe just a slightly exaggerated one. And obviously there are a couple of, you know, you've mentioned Balotelli, you've mentioned Prince Bertang as well. You know, these these are players that have operated at, at a higher level and probably still could do. Um, and so there's an interesting kind of addition there. I, I think what impressed me particularly with with Brocky is that he's, I mean, I, so I had a quick look. They, they They've used 22 players in their last five games. <laughs> which is quite a lot, um, and and I don't think it's necessarily because of uh, you know injuries and, and enforced absences and so on. But but what he's done tactically is he's built a system which, where if you watch them play, they have a pretty consistent style uh, home and away with with a few tweaks between those two. Um, but they're they're very settled in their four three three. The same sort of runs tend to be made, irrespective of who the players are. Obviously, different players bring different little sparkles to that. But he's he's built a cohesive system, and and that allows him, I think, to drop players in and out, to rotate, to keep people fresh and keep people interested without necessarily sacrificing the overall tactical approach of the side, which is really smart coaching. Yeah, and clearly it's worked because you know you just look at the sort of the, the last couple of results that Monza have had. I think it's four games they're they're, they're unbeaten without conceding a goal. Um, you know, it's I think it's the the the, the most miserly defence in Serie B this season, if if I'm not mistaken, or at least when I did the, the research for the pod, um, uh, that's what they were. But um, they. They they do seem I know what you mean they do seem cohesive and I don't want to say sort of structured settled is probably the best way of saying it um, as you mentioned there in their formation and and sort of in the sense of where, who makes those runs you know you you'll have those those players who do obviously as you say bring the different nuance um, to to different phases of play but yeah absolutely I think they're it's it's no fluke uh, that they're that they are where they are in the table um, and. I implore anybody to to try and explain to me the complicated promotion relegation system between Serie A and Serie B, mostly Serie B in terms of the 
the top, I believe it's the top two go up and then between third and eighth, if there is a gap of something like 10 to 15 points between third and fourth, the third go up automatically. Um, and then there's lots of different ramifications between the different points tallies. It's all a bit complex. But, um, you know, at the moment, they do stand a, a, a fair chance of, of sort of going going up to Serie A for the first time, which, should, of course, would be sweet vindication for, for Galliani and Berlusconi's investment, um, of which there's been around 10 million euros spent um, sort of this season alone. Um, and they're not messing around in the winter transfer window either. I think they've already added uh, two players, um, Scossarella and uh, Federico Ricci, I believe. I mean, they're not under 23, so we won't go into too much depth. But, you know, they they, they clearly, you know, believe in this model that, the, that they're employing. Um, and I suppose... Part of that model comes um, the the likes of KPB and, and Balotelli, who uh, who scored a, a goal four minutes into his debut uh, against Salernitana, I believe. Um, but it's the man that uh, that assisted Balotelli for that goal that um, that I'd like to discuss first in terms of the um, the the individual players that that Monza have and why they're an exciting watch and why they're an intriguing story um, because it's uh, Carlos Augusto who is 21 years old, um, signed from Corinthians in Brazil, who are not exactly an insignificant club in South America. Um, and, and he was acquired on a four-year deal, which, you know, from what we were saying earlier, that there's, you know, a lot of churn in Serie B in terms of players coming in and out. A four-year contract seems, you know, it, it, it books the trend, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, this this is a, a transfer that I think says, you know, we're going to get promoted. Um, <laughs> Carlos Augusto is is a lovely player. I, I would urge people to um, actually, uh, as a as a kind of very nice um, introduction into Monza's style of play, uh, Carlos Augusto's goal against Ascoli, um, where there's a, a good bit of kind of quick interplay, Augusto gets put through uh, into the sort of left half space, carries forwards ever so slightly, and then absolutely hoons it into the roof of the net, mm. um, is a, a lovely goal. Um and you know he's he's an excellent dynamic left back. You know he's he's a lot of um, Monza's uh, approach width wise does come from their fullbacks. Um, Barberis, who's the the kind of deepest lying midfielder, tends to to drop back uh, and cover the centre halves so that the uh, the wing backs can can push up high. But that is particularly the case on the on the left. Um, because um, Donati tends to sit a little bit deeper. Um, but Augusto is very much this kind of modern left back. You know, he's up and down the pitch. He's able to to squeeze the ball through um, to runners coming from deep. He likes to get to, to the goal line and pull the ball back, which is a, a way that Monza score quite a lot of their goals. Um, they're very much a, a high possession, high volume of passing kind of side. They, they don't they don't dwell on the ball. They like to to move it forwards, and the, these overlapping runs and quick pullbacks from Augusto are, are very much part of how they play. I think it's an interesting one when you look at his physical profile as well, because you know you you associate um, you know overlapping fullbacks who you know get who like to get down the sides, get to the byline, and cut it back as being sort of perhaps more diminutive. But you know Augusto's at least six foot. You know he performs quite well in the air defensively, yeah. um, and and he's pretty robust as well. You know his tackling seems to hold up pretty well. Um, and you know as you say, Serie B is chock full of these these seasoned veterans um, who exact aren't exactly too shy of shirking challenges. So he's he's very um, he's very well rounded profile. I feel. Yeah, I, I've got him as six foot one, um, and and you're right. He's he's able to ride challenges. He's got he's got the physical capability to carry the ball through tight spaces without being buffeted around. I sometimes think with these, you know, with with the younger Italian players, sometimes that that physical profile is what's lacking, and part of why they go to Serie B is to get toughened up a little bit. Um, but if you're playing in the top tier of Brazilian football, you're going, you're going to be very, very well exposed to the physical side of the game. Um, and I think that you know he's he's come in and immediately uh, improved that that left hand side attack. And they they you know this it's a very I think you're right to highlight it in the sense that yes, okay, he's younger, um, but the the profile of the transfer, the amount of money transfer marked have it being a three point six million pound fee. Um, it's their second biggest investment after uh, Mikko Maric in the most recent transfer window. Maric is a lovely player, by the way. Um, someone that we highlighted uh, last summer 
when Tifa and the Athletic teamed up to do sensible transfers. Um, really, really nice, interesting striker. Um, but you know, they. I think this is kind of the extent to which Monza are slightly stepping away from the classic Serie B model. Um, there are a couple of these acquisitions that hint towards uh, a longer term sense of, you know, we'll get promoted this season and then we seek to establish ourselves in Serie A. And it would be great if we had at least two or three of these younger players that weren't on loan that were tied down to us who can help that transition but are already part of the team and already experienced. Because what you don't want to do is get promoted. I mean, I'm sure they probably will do this, but that you don't want to get promoted and, and then spend a huge amount of money trying to uh, bring in players that elevate the, the quality of your squad because those players don't have long enough to bed in. Whereas Augusto is going to be very used to the system. He's going to be very used to his teammates. Uh, and that continuity, I think, will be very, very helpful if they do get promoted. Well, he's settled as well. You know, he's, he knows that on a four-year deal, um, he's, he's he's going to be staying in Italy a fair while. Um, yeah. And it, it's I, I do echo what you say about this being a we're going to get promoted transfer because I think it would be very difficult to sell uh, a Serie, uh, any other Serie B club to a player who was playing, you know, at, at least on a regular basis, uh, maybe not starting every week um, at, at Corinthians. You know, he's not, he wasn't exactly a complete unknown plucked from Brazil. Um, so I think it would have been a difficult sell unless the, the pitch point was, well, we're going to be promoted. You're going to be a Serie A player soon. Yeah. And, and, and if they don't get promoted, then, you know, he's he's also potentially... For himself, he's put himself in the window for Italian clubs uh, in a way that maybe wouldn't have happened had he had he stayed in Brazil. Uh, and also from a financial point of view, if Monza start to think, oh, we've put maybe a little bit too much money into this club, you know, he's clearly going to be a saleable asset. So I think, I think for the club and for the player, it works either way. Although obviously, you know, they're they're both going to want promotion rather than not. Uh, on that topic of sort of signing players, young players particularly, um, before sort of this anticipated promotion to, to Syria. Um, they also added uh, Danny Motta um, from Juventus or Juventus under 23s um, over the summer as well, after he spent a short time on loan uh, last season, helping them be promoted to, to Serie B. Um, and he's an interesting character um, because he's Luxembourg born, uh, but he's a Portuguese youth international. Uh, and I suppose with many players at Juve, you know, very unlikely ever to make the grade there. Um, and and he also speaks five languages, apparently, which is four more than I can. So kudos <laughs> to kudos to Danny Motta, who is, uh, is is the same age and can speak four more languages. Um, but uh, he's been he's been playing regularly at under 21 level for Portugal. And I think that's an interesting subplot because we know how strong Portugal's under-21 side is. You know, they've got Vitinha at Wolves, Florentino Luis, Rafael Leao, Pedro Gonçalves, who's who's doing very well at sporting this year. I, you know, he's, he's playing sort of on the left side of the attack for a lesser club than his international teammates um, and yet plays up front with, you know, the likes of Jota's um, for, for, his, for his national team, well, youth international team. Well, I mean, from your observations of Danny Motta what was what have you what have you sort of garnered from that he's he's a really watchable player um he's lovely uh he's I think the first thing that's interesting to say is that he he's got I think the third most minutes for them this season um and he's their joint top scorer with four goals um along with um Kevin Prince-Bertang and that's there's there's quite a lot of responsibility there, you know, with with a massive squad. And as we've already said, you know, if they're using 22 players in their last five games, you you really want to focus on the players who are getting consistent minutes and are really part of that that um, that setup long term. And interestingly, the other players that are all plus a thousand minutes are the gnarled old veterans. Um, so Barbara Spelowski, the the former Leeds guy, and Donati, the right back, um, Motta. I guess when I watched him, I kind of got slightly, you know, Daniel Podence light vibes. Um, there's there's a, a, a low center of gravity, great ball carrying, nice, incisive, quick passing. He's not afraid to take players on. Um, he's got the technical capability to, you know, if, if he gets forced out to, towards the touchline, for example, he can skip past a challenge. 
but there's also an awareness of of scoring opportunities and and again you know the the way that um that Monza like to play the 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 wide players do tuck inside they're very very good at making these late third man runs into the box um and Motta is is either the person who's sort of setting that up and and getting forwards um to pull the ball back or he's one of these players that's arriving late in so there's there's a kind of dual threat there um and you know he i don't want to say like he massively stands out because this is a, an overall good squad there's a lot of interesting players in it but there is just a little sparkle of quality there that makes you realize that you know like you say the, the chances at juventus were not going to come but this is a player who clearly is operating at a level below where he should be um and again i think seems like a really really astute acquisition it's interesting that you mentioned that he's that the Monza like to use these sort of interior forwards, if you will. You know, the, yeah. the likes of having Kevin Prince Boateng, who has played up front in 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 the past, um, Danny Motta, who's you know had good goal scoring seasons at the likes of Virtus Intella, um, and you know clearly has been a, a centre forward in 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 previous years. Um, that having that sort of dual threat in attack means that you know you've got three players going forward who, and and you know. Are exclusively going to be used going forward. Who are very comfortable at um, taking on the the goal scoring role. You know, you don't have three attacking players where you've got a goal scorer and two creators playing. You know, straddling him. Um, you've got those those three who who are capable of you know picking up the slack if your your traditional number nine in air quotes, so to speak, um, isn't sort of having his best day. Um, so I think yeah, you know that speaks to why he is joint top scorer, while the goals are perhaps spread out quite well around this Monza team. That, I think that's exactly right. And, and what's really interesting as well is that that to go back to Maric, um, who I mentioned before, Mirko Maric, he is a classic centre-forward, but he's a classic centre-forward who is very, very good at dropping off and playing through passes. So so the, the approach seems to be that, that these front three, whoever they are, because it does get mixed around a little bit, are all I mean really only Balotelli is a kind of classic nine. The mm. the rest of them are either wide players who like to cut in, but also like to cut in and get forwards rather than just taking shooting opportunities from from deep positions. And it's interesting that you know the way that that Monza like to build up in the wide areas on, on the left hand side particularly is Carlos Augusto making these bursts forward. On the right hand side, it's um, it's Fratesi who plays as the the, the right sided central midfielder of the three, and is very much what the Italians would call a mezzala. So he's making these these runs outside to to cover for the fact that the fullback Donati doesn't get forwards quite so much, and he's then able to pull back. And it they 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 have this ability to to ensure that there's you know at least one if not two strikers or, or attacking players quite close to the goalkeeper and, and in the box but then also have these runners coming from deep and that's that's how um you know Barria for example has managed to get a couple of goals because he makes these late arriving runs Fratesi does the same thing cutting in from the right hand side um if if the ball's on the left so there's a great fluidity there uh, and this goes back to what I was saying about how you know Brocky has been able to create a system where the players understand their roles, even if the players are chopping and changing, because the patterns that Monza use are actually fairly repetitive. And that, that's not a criticism. It's 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 an eminently sensible thing to do if you've got a big squad and you want to circulate the playing time. Uh, and because they're executed at great speed and with great technical proficiency, it doesn't make it easy to stop. But what it does mean is that you can interchange these players and you have players with um, with nicely kind of flexible profiles that can fit into different positions or, or make different runs depending on where the play is and, and how they are in relation to that. And it creates a very flexible multifunctional attacking system and doesn't rely on one single person to, to be the guy that's going to get the goals. And I, I think that's really smart. Yeah, just on, just moving on, and I think you, you mentioned his name just there, uh, and that's Davide Fratesi, um, who is a, a brilliant central midfielder, um, to, to put it reductively. Um, but he is one of the, the loanees that has, has come down from, from Serie A. He's on loan from Sassuolo. 
He's an Italian under twenty one international, and um, what you were saying on on how he, he he's also capable of supporting that attack with his runs and you know maybe covering where Donati doesn't get forward. I think that that speaks to absolute volumes because we watched him at um, the the under twenty World Cup in two thousand nineteen, um, and he was arguably one of the best two way midfield presences at that tournament. Yeah. You know he's very good at linking attacks, uh, but but could tuck in if need be if needs be. Um, and you know when when Pinamonti, um, who is at Inter, and, and Gianluca Scamacca, who has has been linked with Juventus in in recent weeks, um, when they were absent from from those games at that that World Cup, you know Fratesi was the driving force. He was the one pulling this team, you know, forward uh, to 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 try and score goals. And I think it's it's. It's a great find, not even a find. It's a great pickup by um, by Monza to to be able to get. I'd say perhaps one of the more underappreciated twenty one year old and unders um, from from Serie's sort of glut of, of 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 talented young players who just perhaps aren't getting the minutes in in Serie. So I think Fratesi is definitely one that I'm that I'm a big fan of. Um, his under twenty World Cup teammate Davide Batella. Um, his is uh, is with Monza um, on loan from Atalanta, or at least an initial loan. Um, but before I sort of go into a, a monologue about the Under Twenty World Cup from years gone by, <laughs> um, which believe me I will. Um, <laughs> what have your what have your thoughts been sort of on on Fratesi and and Batella? Um, I like them both. Um, I I like Fratesi a lot. Uh, and I, it's it's no surprise to me that he's come from um, Sassuolo, who are you know, producing or have consistently produced some of the more interesting uh, Italian central midfielders over the last sort of four or five years. Um, and you can see the development of, of Locatelli, but also Stefano Sensi, um, who I was a big fan of. Um, he's He is, like you say, he's, he's a, uh, I can't remember the expression you use, but he gets forwards and he comes back. <laughs> I'm sure you put it much more eloquently. Two-way two midfield presence, yeah, I think I've got my notes here. Thank you. Very, very Nicolo Barella of him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I think Barella is is a, is a great point of comparison because what you've got there is somebody who who does have the uh, tactical intelligence and defensive discipline to tuck inside. It's interesting that that in the the most recent games, um, that midfield three of uh, Fratesi, Barilla, uh, and Barberis has been the sort of fairly consistent point of the team, and I think that speaks volumes to their respective qualities. Um, Fratesi is the guy that injects something a little bit different. Um, he is able to push forwards. He's got the technical ability to uh, to do something clever. But what I really like about him is that he usually doesn't do something. I say clever, like he doesn't. It's not trickery. It's not. There's not a huge degree of inventiveness when there isn't the requirement for it. So he will play the sensible pass, but he'll play it a second or two before most people would. And that's what gives Monza the momentum and the ability to penetrate opposition defences. It's not, it's not wild trickery or a piece of skill that leaves you breathless. It's just executing the fundamentals of build-up play at a greater degree of speed and precision than a lot of other players do. And to see that from a, a player who's only just 21 um, is, is incredibly impressive. Um, and he's... He's definitely some, I mean, you know, I, he, they don't have the option to buy with him as far as I understand in the same way that they do with Batella, but he's, um, wherever he ends up, he's, I think he's going to be really good. Batella, I, I didn't stand out to me quite as much. Um, he does seem like quite a, quite an elegant defender. He, he seems to have a, a pretty good reading uh, of the ball. He's, He's the one of the Monza back four that likes to step forwards and, and close space down. So if Monza are playing against a team that's using a, a centre forward that drops into the space between the lines, Batella will be the one usually who pushes up onto them, which I guess means that they they have confidence in his reading of the game, but also his athleticism to get back into position, which he seems to do pretty well. Um you know, sometimes with with defenders, it's when you don't notice them that much that you know they're good. So <laughs> it's, that's that's possibly a reflection of that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, you, it, it's like when the, the discussion over Harry Maguire, you know, is it's gone a bit quiet over the last three months, and that's because he's been playing relatively well. Um, but there's that there's no clamouring for uh, when when centre halves are do, just doing their job and you know perhaps being unspectacular but spectacularly solid. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, D- Batella is, you know, he's, he's Italian youth international pedigree, but um, I think it, as you said, it speaks volumes that they have an option to buy after his loan. But Monza have an option to buy him from Atalanta, Batella that is, um, but they don't have one with Fratesi um, from Sassuolo because perhaps Sassuolo identify Fratesi as being a Serie A potential player that they themselves can utilise because he's been through... Uh, he's been at Ascoli and Empoli in in Serie B for a few seasons yeah. on loan now, so he has that ability. And you know, the way that he's been playing this season, the the team that he's playing in, it kind of feels as though his his finale in in the lower leagues, uh, Fratesi that is. But Betella maybe hasn't had as much experience there. And you know, while he's, I think he's he's a good enough presence in both boxes to be a, a solid Serie A defender, maybe bottom half. Yeah, but you know that. You, the 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 waters I think are quite muddied when you compare sort of the bottom five of Serie A and the top eight of Serie B um, because you know those teams do cycle through every every single season. Um, so I mean, Batella again is an interesting one. The, the, I think it's an option or it might be an obligation um, after two years because um, he's on a two year loan uh, at Monza. Um, so potentially, if they did get promoted, he may be playing in Serie A next season. Um, Fratesi maybe less so if he's um, if he's st- staying with Sassuolo. I think that might depend on where Manuel Locatelli goes uh, yeah. in the summer if, if there's interest in him. The, these these are the two clubs that I would trust to have the best handle on their young players' development. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, out, out of the Serie A clubs, I think you know, in terms of I, Atalanta, are, uh, perhaps a little bit more savvy at buying t- young talent from abroad and bringing it through the the Primavera system. Sassuolo tend to develop them at home more, but but those are the clubs where you look at them and go, in terms of their recent history, they are the most effective at producing good players. So if they've judged that um, you know Fratesi is is not going to be available in the same way, but Batella is, I think that does that does say something about those two players. Yeah, Atalanta's Primavera setup is sort of one of the most prolific in terms of producing good players, um, and it, it, that's why it's it's no coincidence that you know the likes of Ahmad Traore is, is obviously signed for Manchester United, and and what they, I think a lot of people sometimes forget that Dejan Kulusevski came through at Atalanta yeah. was was loaned to Parma for last season, and it was that first half of the year that that convinced Juve to spend thirty five million on them on him. Sorry, I think Massimo Brambilla, uh, Brambilla. Um, who is the, the Atalanta Primavera head coach, deserves uh, immense credit because he's been there for, for a little while now and he continues to produce these players. You know, the likes of Alessandro Cortinovis, um, Ebrima Colli, who uh, is, is out on loan this season in Serie B, I believe. Uh, and, um, you know, the, even players like Roberto Piccoli, who I think is at Spezia this season. Um, he, he they, They've all been very good in the um, the Atalanta setup. And you, I was, I was having this conversation the other day, actually, um, you know, it was it was a point raised that I think the success of an academy shouldn't be judged on how many players from that academy come through to that club's uh, first team. It should be you know the careers it produces. Um, that was a that was a point that that Lou, um, who who does fantastic work for Scouted, made. Um, and I think it's 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 an interesting point because Atalanta do you know if you look at sort of the players that are littered down Serie A and Serie B, there will be an Atalanta base for, from a lot of them. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. You know, that it's reflective of the business model, isn't it? Because there are clubs who develop lots of of, of good young players, or, or take uh, young players on loan, for example. To uh, sorry, to take them and then put them out on loan to secure their services and see how they develop, and they don't need to sell them. So that that can be a process that's ongoing. You know, Man City have have got a lot of very interesting young players out on loan at the moment. A club like Atalanta is in a position where they do need to uh, to trade those players sometimes in order to to basically stay afloat. I mean, the, the Champions League run will have been financially beneficial to them, but they're still comparatively small, and so their business model does rely on on that. And if you can take a, a, a you know a sixteen year old and turn them into a Serie B player and sell them for even you know half a million, a million euro, that's that's still money coming in. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and so I, I think it's unfair sometimes for those smaller clubs to, to look at them 
and say, well, you know, okay, there's only maybe one or two academy graduates in your first team that it's not working out. If you're able to to sell a Kulisevsky for 35 million <laughs> uh, off the basis of, you know, playing in the Primavera and then going on, on loan to Parma, that's really good business, right? I mean, obviously he's a player who could have gone into their first team, but at the same time, you know, they they don't need that necessarily. The money is more important to them for the continuity of the club and it allows them to reinvest in that youth system and, and find the next one. So I think it's a it's a fair point. There's there's kind of a heroing of of having lots and lots of youth players, isn't there? And I think sometimes that that um, you know, players sometimes get a pass even from fan bases because they've come through the, the ranks. Oh, absolutely. That that's definitely a thing. Uh, you know, you don't you don't necessarily look at Scott McTominay and think that's the future of Manchester United's midfield, but because he's come through the ranks, there's a, an affection granted to him. Um, not to single him out unfairly or anything, but um... <laughs> there's a soft heartedness, I think, uh, that perhaps you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Fred that's maybe doesn't get the same slack. No, no, poor Fred. Um, <laughs> uh, but but you know, there's. Again, there are Manchester United youth players littered around the the the, the championship or, or League One or, or what have you, and and that's that's part of how the club sustains itself is is assessing the quality of those players, giving opportunities to a few, and and letting others go for a fee. All clubs survive in that way, um, but I think the onus is on certain clubs to do it more often, um, and that would be someone like Atlanta. Yeah, I mean. 70 million euros on on Kulisevsky and Trior, um, Ahmad Diallo, uh, who, you know, I think cumulative played around 15 senior games for, for Atalanta. It's not exactly bad business from your Primavera, is it? It's very smart. It is. It's very smart business. That's that. Now that is sensible transfers, if yeah, ever there was any. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Um, uh, there was one more, uh, Loney, who, who's at Monza this season. And I think you probably will have struggled to sort of have watched very much of him at Monza because he hasn't played very much. Um, and I think it's more because he's he's two or three years younger than Betella and Fratesi. Uh, and he's, he's at uh, perhaps the stage that Fratesi was two years ago before his first Serie B loan. Um, but there's been there's been intrigue in, in Lorenzo Pirola, um, who is a, a, a centre-back belonging to to Inter, um, but he's equally he's been involved in the Italian under twenty one setup, and I think there's there's a real potential focus here. You know, there's, uh, I mean, he was involved on the bench for Inter um, at the back end of last season, sort of in that June July period when leagues resumed, um, and I think when I saw that he'd gone to Monza, I thought, okay, interesting. He's chosen, well, he himself probably hadn't chosen Monza, but he's gone to Monza. Um, there's the opportunity to play Serie B football, but you know, he, he, the thing that I think has struck, stood out to me is that for a player who has barely played this season, he's been in the news recently because apparently Inter are willing to to use him as leverage in order to get Papu Gomez from Atalanta, who of course is you know having a bit of a tiff with with Gasparini there, um, <laughs> just a little bit, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, the, 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 I can't remember if it was Twitter or Instagram, but when, when he I think was, it was Instagram, I know exactly what you're going to say, <laughs> putting out photos of himself, going, look, you know, I'm in the right place, mate. That's, Oh, I mean, and it's really interesting because I I remember reading a um an interview with Gomez uh, that was in an Italian paper and and I put it through Google Translate. I can't remember who brought it to my attention. It may have been Tiago Esteval, uh, and he like it was a really tactically complex and in depth interview where he was talking about his positioning because obviously he he does occupy a weird role in that Atalanta team and a crucial mm. one. Uh, and I had never come across a footballer talking about their their role and their position with that level of tactical complexity. It was absolutely fascinating. So for for this to be the subject of their tiff is particularly interesting um, because I think Gomez Gomez does know what he's supposed to be doing. Um, it's yeah, it's a weird one, but it's quite fun. Was that the same article where he um, he said that he takes up positions that the referee occupies a lot of it's the time? It's exactly because... that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the he was um... the spaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially, that's what he was saying, which seems very simple, but 
you know, you <laughs> until you until it's written down in front of you, you don't think you're like, oh bloody hell, actually that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it was interesting that Pirola was is, is clearly you know at 18 years old seen as expendable for Inter, um, but rated highly highly enough to be used as a potential bargaining chip in what would be a a, a huge transfer. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I mean, like you say, it's he's played 37 minutes in Serie B for Monza, which is not an awful lot to be able to judge him on. Um, I think he played in a Coppa Italia game as well. Um, he looks good. I mean, from from a statistical point of view, he, he doesn't seem to make mistakes very often. He, you know, he, he likes to carry the ball forwards occasionally. He's got a decent range of passing. His long passing can be a little wayward. Um, but you know he's he's clearly a defender who makes his his actions, his interceptions, and stepping forwards and so on with an eye to transition, which is something that you always like to see. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, from what little I've seen of him, he looks promising. I guess it's really hard when when a player is that age to be able to make particularly good judgments about the kind of player that they would develop into. But um, you know, there, there's there's likely to be a vacancy. I mean, Atalanta have got Christian Romero on loan from Juve, um, who is excelling um, as a, a, I think he's only 22 Romero, um, but that, but there will probably be gaps in that, in that Atalanta defense or, or the opportunity, at least when Romero returns to Juve um, to get first team action next season. So, it might not be the worst thing for Parola um, to to be in and around that sort of environment, but also with with a fairly decent potential of of, of getting game time um, because he's not getting it at Monza, and that I think that's really just reflective of the quality that's ahead of him. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not necessarily because he's he doesn't have it. Um, it is difficult to gauge with centre backs, like I say, because you want to watch a lot of a centre-back before you really come to any decisions about them. Um, statistically, it's probably the hardest of all positions to to make assessments on just based yeah. on numbers. Um, and a lot of defending isn't about measurable actions. It's about where you are, you know, your scanning, your positioning, your movements that 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 block off a passing lane or prevent a run or cover a run. And, and those things aren't picked up in event data, certainly not publicly available event data so i'd like to see more of him but the little i have seen is i guess promising yeah yeah i think it that's that was the whole point of sort of bringing him to attention because you know he's played for for italy's unders uh, at every age group from 15 to 18 and then just all of a sudden made the jump to the 21s which typically you'd see with a player who is going is sort of being fast tracked to the top rather than you know gradually going through the stages and then sort of bursting on not bursting but gradually breaking onto the scene at around 22 you know he's 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 still 18 he's played around an hour's worth of league football in Italy's top two divisions and yet is being discussed for a transfer to one of the you know one of the clubs which is tactically very innovative and also on the up and competing in Europe I just thought all all sort of pieces together it was um it was an interesting sort of all-encompassing um footballer that that could be a that could be one a name for the future, perhaps. But um, yeah, Pirola definitely in- interesting. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I personally, as anybody who watches TIFO Sensible Transfers videos knows, uh, I have a particular fondness for left-sided centre backs. Um, so <laughs> he's somebody I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I think I think if I were Atalanta, I I would obviously depending on the money side of things as well. I wouldn't be averse to that deal, to be honest, um, mm. because I think you, you're getting somebody who, like you say, has has the pedigree in a youth way um, to to show that there's been consistent faith in his ability as a development prospect from all of the youth level football that he's played um, versus a, a, a albeit very exciting, creative attacking player, but who is in his early to mid 30s is he 34 gomez i can't remember exactly something like that is he 34 I, I, I mean i think he's quite old i sometimes conflate him with pablo hernandez because i always think that hernandez is, is much younger or at least in his early 30s and then every time i look up on transfer market i'm like oh god he's 35 i checked that last week <laughs> he's uh, he's 32 
Um, but he well, will, that's a bit better than he'll, yeah. he'll be 33 in February. So, you know, he, he's getting on a bit um, and, and probably has, I don't know, maybe two seasons at the top level left. Um, but, you know, that plus money versus uh, a player who is 18 and has come through all of the youth levels in a position where you need, if you're Atalanta, you need a lot of tactical flexibility and intelligence. That's not a bad trade. Yeah, he's been. He was also being dubbed to to be moved along with um, Sebastiano Esposito, um, who uh, has did all right last season in sort of the very brief cameos that he came on the pitch. I mean, he did come on against sort of the poorer teams in Syria and maybe got a few goals. I think he scored his first from the penalty spot, actually, um, which uh, you wouldn't have seen me doing um, at San Siro as an eighteen-year-old. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, this the, the, it, it it just it pricked my my conscience. It pricked my interest um, mm. definitely. Yeah. Um, but um, just back to coming full circle, uh, you know, Monza appear to be a club on the up. You know, obviously they've been financed by people who know what they're doing in this game. You know, they've they've got the thirty-year track record with Milan, um, that being Galliani and, and Berlusconi. Um, I suppose you know I, I could I could you know tiptoe around it. How sustainable is it if they don't get promoted? I think, given the fact that a lot of those players that have come in are low knees or free signings it's probably more sustainable than if they'd spent money on a lot of them i mean in terms of this season i think transfer fees have been involved in i maybe four or five of those deals um so you know well palazzi was peanuts morosini was peanuts but you know they've they've spent over a million four times and um, we've already talked about Carlos Augusto and how that's a really intelligent long-term signing Danny Motter I would say as well if they don't get you know the, the, these are a couple of players who will have shown enough in Serie B that if they don't get promoted other teams will be interested in them and so there is a built-in sustainability there in terms of being able to sell those players if you have to obviously they don't want to um, I think the churn will have to decrease slightly um I, I think Brocky, like like we've said before, has done a really good job in building uh, a very competent functional system that that allows for some interesting attacking football. I mean, by by pretty much every attacking metric, Monza are either the best or the second best team in Serie B. Um, I think actually only only Lecce, who are down in sixth because they concede too many, um, have better attacking metrics. Uh, than Monza so you know it's a good side and it's well coached if they get promoted they are going to want to probably push the chips onto a few players in a way that they haven't done before um, because I think you do need a greater degree of continuity individual ability isn't going to be enough to carry you through a Serie A season as a newly promoted side so so cohesion um, will be really really important and I think if uh, Fratesi goes back to Sassuolo, that will be a loss both from the fact that he's a, a very, very good player, but also because, like I say, particularly in the last sort of five, six games, they've really honed in on that being the the, the preferred midfield three. So I don't know that, you know, these guys have got deep pockets um, and, and because of Galliani's contacts within the Italian game, they are always going to be in a position to, to be able to bring in interesting players i just think that once they make that jump assuming they do um and like you said that they're not in the automatic promotion spots at the moment um but they do look pretty good um then i think if not pruning the squad at least at least giving less game time to quite so many players and and trying to build a bit more cohesion within that first team setup it is is a good idea Absolutely. Um, well, that just about wraps things up for this week's Scouted Football podcast. Um, we hope you've enjoyed a, a tale from left field somewhat about a club who could, by hook or by crook or by bank balance, could find themselves playing in Serie A next season. Uh, and definitely stay tuned to their story, not just for the, the low knees or the, the, the likes of Carlos Augusto or Danny Mota, but also for no doubt the fireworks that Mario Balotelli and Kevin Prince-Boateng will no doubt have on display at some point this season. It's almost inevitable. But yes, um, a huge, huge thank you to, to Alex for giving us his time on this one um, and for the unrivaled insight that he's 
no doubt hammered his Y Scout account for. Um, <laughs> yep, <laughs> which, which has right. been fantastic. Uh, but yes, if you'd like to hear more of, of Alex, um, then you know where to find him at, at AFH Stuart on Twitter, Stuart with an EW, um, or just by searching TFO Football YouTube, um, as I regularly find myself doing. Um, it won't be long uh, before his his dulcet tones and always face in recent weeks um, greet you uh, if that's the type of thing you're after. Um, but yeah, thank you very much uh, for, for, for joining me, Alex. Have you got anything sort of you'd like to, to add finally? Um, no, just, just thanks for having me on. Like I say, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work that you guys do at Scouted Football. Um, I think it's a, a very, very impressive and considered resource um, for, you know, young players. It's something that I lean on quite a lot when I'm doing work for Sensible Transfers videos. Um, so it's just been a real pleasure to come on and chat to you. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that and those kind words. And, and thank you for, for tuning in to uh, the 50th episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, there will be more to come. And uh, if you haven't checked it out already, please do subscribe to our brand new YouTube account where we'll be posting snippets uh, of the podcasts on there. Uh, that's all from us. Stay safe, take care and bye for now. <laughs>